So here we are, one more time, at least for those of you who are at the uh, weekend, Friday night, Saturday, and now we have Sunday morning together. Those of you who weren't here Friday or Saturday, welcome. Uh, we're going to include you in what we've been doing. You'll see the title, it's pretty straightforward. It says, Inhaling Grace, Stepping Up. Inhaling Grace, just, I want to talk about what it means to live the life of the Christian, to live a life in collaboration with God but to do so energized by grace. Grace doesn't just come along and forgive our sins. Grace does that, and we are deeply grateful that that is true. Grace not only does that, but grace comes along and begins to transform us so that what was forgiven before actually becomes a place of freedom now. And then grace goes further than that. Grace is what empowers us to join Jesus in his work in this world. Jesus doesn't come to be served. Jesus comes to serve, right? And he invites us to be his friends. He invites us to be collaborators with him. And as a servant, what that says is, nothing is beneath Jesus by way of service. Nothing is beneath him. Upper room, John 13. Everyone's feet are dirty. Somebody needs to do something about that. Maybe we should pick the junior disciple. Maybe that's his job. Nope. Jesus gets ready, takes on the towel, and he serves. He sees the need, and he takes the initiative, and he serves. The place of deepest intimacy for us in the Christian life is learning to join Jesus in his service. It's beautiful to join Jesus in the friendship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's beautiful to do that, to, be, to, to know ourselves as sons and daughters of God. But it's a step deeper in to join Jesus in his servant-like relationship with this world. To join him in the ways in which he wants to love people. That is, to me, what it means to inhale grace, not just to benefit from grace, just take a shallow breath of grace, but to breathe deeply of the grace of God. So again, if you weren't here for the weekend, or even if you were, I'll take a moment to remind you of some of what we talked about. And one of the images we used because of the fact that our core theme for the weekend was awake, we talked, remember, that one session about what does awake look and feel like? What does asleep look and feel like? Awake we said, or asleep, we said, it can look complacent. It can look distant from God. It can look disconnected from people. It can feel like, it can, it, it can be a place where we feel like we're victims of our lives or of the pressures. It can be a place where we numb ourselves or we escape from our lives. That's what asleep can look like. We all sort of voted that wasn't uh, our goal in life. That's not what we were aiming for, right? We, we had this big list of words, and we all agreed, no, that's not on our five-year plan. That's not what we're hoping for. But then we talked about what does awake look and feel like? And we said, awake, that can feel like perspective, vision, discernment. We said it could look like being deeply connected with God and His work in this world being deeply connected to each other in community as we do this work together. It can look like a peaceful soul. 
an energized soul, a deeply rested soul. Then we had a core passage, remember? 1 Peter 5, verse 6 to 11. And in that passage, there was a line about God and God's grace. Do you remember it? It went like this. And the God of all grace, not the God of a little bit of grace, not the God of occasional grace, not the God of some grace, but the God of all grace, every facet of God's generous, empowering presence. And the God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will Himself restore you, make you strong, firm, and steadfast. And then this benediction. Peter says, Now to Him be the power forever and ever. God is the God of all grace. God is a God who is always treating us with generosity. But He's also the God who is always inviting us to step up into His grace. He doesn't just want to work for us. He does, so we can experience forgiveness, so that we can experience cleansing, so we can experience freedom in His presence. He doesn't want to just work for us. He doesn't just want to work in us, though He does, to transform who we are more and more into the image of Christ. Not just for, not just in, but what He most wants to do is to work through us. He chose you. He chose you, yes, to be a son, to be a daughter. And that is a great honor and a great privilege. But He chose you even more because He wanted you with Him in this world, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom that his father sent him to proclaim, he came as a servant. That is the place of greatest intimacy. In my own journey, the moments when I feel and know myself closest to the heart of the Father is when I get a chance to to join Jesus in what he's doing to experience the Spirit of God working in me, but then also working through me to bless others. So grace is the very air we breathe as His people. So I want to talk a little bit in our sermon here about how it is that we grow in grace. That's a phrase we hear more than once in the New Testament. So what I'm talking about actually comes from uh, the book that we most recently put out. It's called Inhaling Grace. That's where the title comes from. And the first lines of the book go like this. The grace of God is the atmosphere of His kingdom. Literally, the air we breathe. So the grace of God is the atmosphere of His kingdom. We live by inhaling grace. Now, we grow short of breath when we inhale anxiety or fear or insecurity. These don't have a home in the joyful and generous kingdom of our Father in heaven, but we live by inhaling grace. We live, we move, we have our being, and we do our work in a kingdom that is deeply rooted in grace. Now, grace is one of those words, if you've been a Christian for a little while, I've been walking with Jesus for almost 41 years now. I've heard a lot of talk about grace. There's a lot of ideas about what grace is. For some, grace is a great word of theology that sometimes doesn't seem to have much place in actual living. 
We want to argue about grace, but maybe we're struggling with how to live grace, at least some people. For others, it can be a word that speaks to God's acceptance of us and God's forgiveness of us. And of course, that's a facet of the grace of God for us. But some miss that God is wanting by His grace to transform us so that our lives more and more reflect the heart and the mind and the intentions of Jesus. That His dream for you and for me is to so transform us so that when we go into our neighborhoods and into our workplaces, something of the the flavor of Jesus, the atmosphere of Jesus, the character of Jesus, the heart of Jesus goes with us. We're being transformed by grace, by His generosity. So one of my mentors, his name was Wayne Anderson, one time did a study of the word grace in the New Testament. If you, if you do a, an extensive study of the New Testament, you'll find the word grace pops up about 130 sometimes. And he just wanted to know, what is the message of grace in the New Testament? What's God trying to tell us about the generosity of God, about the empowering presence of God, this, this word grace? Because at least for many of us, at least and I'll speak for myself, early on the main message of grace was free gift of God, unmerited favor. Is that true? It's absolutely true. And it was often used in the context of entering the kingdom of God, that we don't come to, uh, the, the, uh, we don't come to the kingdom with our resume you know, to sort of prove we deserve to be here. But we come to receive a free gift. That's grace. And that's wonderful news. And we need to embrace grace and fully take in the goodness of God. But what was interesting as my friend Wayne studied the New Testament, he said, of those 130 sometimes that the word grace is used in the Gospels or the book of Acts or in Paul's letters or elsewhere in the New Testament, very, very few of those words were talking about entering the kingdom. Very few. A few of them did, like by grace you're saved through faith, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Yes, right? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. That's talking about our free entry into the kingdom. What he said was, as he studied those references to grace in the New Testament, the overwhelming majority of those uses of the word grace were talking about what it looks like to live the Christian life. Not just the first step in a doorway, but every other step I take in the spirit of Jesus who is a servant, in the spirit of Jesus who invites me to join him and to be strengthened by grace. So he would say that, yes, we enter the kingdom by grace, but we also live by grace, we serve by grace, we work by grace, we lead by grace. We're not just saved by grace, we are, and that is such good news. But having been saved by grace, we now live in response to the generosity of God. And we let God express grace through us in the blessing of people that He's put us near. We learn that the best way to live our lives in the Spirit of Jesus is to come to our lives as servants, just as He comes to be a servant and not to be served. Now, I want to talk about a few ways we can 
learn how to inhale grace in our life with God. And one of the first ways, I think, for many of us that it's absolutely critical that we learn to inhale grace is in our image of God, our sense of who God is. I don't know what that's like for you, but on a bad day, sometimes in the back of my mind, I imagine that God looks a little bit more like my dad on a bad day than the God of the Scriptures. Like he's a little irritable, a little short-tempered, or he gets home from work and goes to the garage and doesn't want to visit. Like that's sometimes what, in the back of my head, I sort of imagine God's like. My dad on a bad day. Now, I'm not bad-mouthing my dad, okay? This sermon may be uh, recorded, and my dad may hear it. <laughs> okay, so that's, that's not what I'm trying to do. When I'm, ta- I'm talking about me. I'm not really talking about him. I'm saying that so- there's sometimes that I have an image of God somewhere in the back of my head that he's not as gracious as he says he actually is. And so then I find myself trying to measure up to something he's not putting out for me to measure up to. For example, there's some beautiful images of God in the prophets, the Old Testament prophets. One of them, for example, is in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18. Listen to this description of God. It says, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. Do you hear that? The Lord longs to be gracious to you. Now, the word long, okay? On the scale of desire, like zero meaning I don't want to do it at all, and 10 would be I want it so much I can hardly breathe, like desire. Where does long fit? Is long way down here? Kind of an average word? Or is it the big word? You hear what I'm saying? Do you have an image of God in your heart, in your guts, that he is just longing to be gracious with you? That what he wants more than anything is to be gracious to you in your actual life, in your actual challenges, in your actual responsibilities. He wants to be gracious to you. He longs to be gracious to you, not just so that you'll receive grace, God's plan has always been the same sort of thing he said to Abraham. I will bless you, and then what? And you will be a blessing. See, God called Crossway into existence because he had a plan in his mind of a way he wanted to bless Orange County. Now, part of that is you guys get to be a community. What a treat. You get to do it together. But in the heart of God, he's dreaming of the ways in which you all as his people, his sons and his daughters, will be so blessed, so graced in your lives that your neighbors and your co-workers will also be blessed. That's, if you want to use the phrase on the slide here, that's what stepping up means. Jesus not only wants to forgive you, Jesus not only wants to transform you, he's very active in that work, but Jesus wants to co-labor with you in some of the simplest, most servant-like ways. It is one of the ways he longs to be a friend with you, to be a fellow worker, to be a co-laborer. It's a great honor. It's one of my favorite things about being a follower of Jesus. So God longs to be gracious. Can you take that in? Can you breathe that in? Can you inhale that 
into the depths of your lungs. This is the God who invites us to himself. And not only that, but there's another phrase in the prophets, this time in the prophet Micah. Micah 7, verse 18. Listen to this. Who is a God like you? A God who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance. It says, you do not stay angry forever, but then this phrase, but you delight to show mercy. You hear that phrase? Delight to show mercy. Now again, delight on a scale of how much you enjoy something. Like I don't delight in picking up dog manure from you know, the yard. That's way down on the I don't want to do it scale. What are some things you'd put on the list of I absolutely delight? What are some things you put? This is group participation. What are some things you would put on the I just delight in whatever? It's a place, it's the thing. Come on. <laughs> Strawberry ice cream, okay, or you, whatever your favorite flavor is. Maybe it's not strawberry, maybe it's something else. But it's, it's delightful, it's delicious, it's so good. What else is delightful? You just enjoy it. It's such a, such a special thing to uh, enter into. Or special place to go. The beach. We live in Mission Viejo. There is an exact route from our house to Laguna Beach. We drive it as often as we can. And the minute we hit that main Broadway sort of street, and I can just see the ocean you know, straight down, like something happens inside of me. It's, it's pretty much delight. Okay? Can you feel something in your life that feels delightful? I can think of the moment, first moment I saw my sons. My oldest son is getting ready to be 27. I can remember the first moment I saw that little guy. 27 years ago almost. What a proud and delightful moment that was. Okay? Are you feeling this delight thing? Okay? So now, connect that. You have a God who absolutely delights in being merciful with you and with those around you. He has a bias for grace and mercy. This is how He wants to treat us. When He sees something broken, He doesn't say, broken, what the heck? He says, broken, how can I restore it? When he sees something wayward, he said, oh, to heck with them. They can go their own way. No, he's the prodigal father who says, how can I help them come back? He delights in mercy. And one of the things he's inviting us to is to join him in his merciful, gracious work in our neighborhoods, in our county, in our country, around the world like this Mission trip that y'all are getting ready to send a team to. This is the place of intimacy with God. So God longs to heal our image of himself. He has a bias for grace. He would prefer to interact with us on the basis of generosity and love, acceptance and forgiveness, transformation and empowerment. So that's one of the ways we can inhale grace. But maybe the way that fits most with our theme, inhaling grace, stepping up, maybe the place where we can best enter in to inhaling grace is inhaling grace in our work with God, our working with God. It was a few years ago, it was in the fall, 
I was with, uh, with a group of pastors in St. Petersburg, Russia. They had come from all over the former Soviet republics. We had a, a small contingent from Yakutsk who had flown six or seven hours to be with us. And I was wanting them to feel some of what we're talking about this morning. I wanted them to feel, one, that God delights in mercy. He longs to be gracious. But that doesn't just stop as a benefit for us. But that this is something that God wants to do both in and then through us to bless the people that he brings into our lives. And I was trying to figure out how to help them feel that. Because I was saying all these things, and they were looking at me like with this kind of blank stare, like, or kind of nodding, but I just didn't feel like they were getting it. Not like the strawberry ice cream thing. That one we felt, right? <clears throat> I wanted them to feel the reality of that. And so I'm sitting there, and I, I finally came up with an idea of how to maybe help them feel it. And so I had them do this. I asked them to take a blank piece of paper. I said, I want you to take this blank piece of paper, and I want you to write down some of the things you do day to day, week to week. Maybe especially things you do in your actual job. So, you know, if I were to make a list like that, it would look like, you know, write a blog post, work on a book, travel to speak, answer emails. Ugh. I hate emails. I get so many emails. I mean, just, it's overwhelming sometimes. And just make a list. And I, so, so there they are. They're making a list of all the things. You could make a list. It would involve things you do in your job. It would involve things that you do at home as part of your work as a, a parent or a homeowner or whatever. And if you looked at that list, you'd say, some of those things, man, I really like. I like doing that. And some of the things you'd look at the list and go, I really wish somebody else would do that. Right? Pay bills, you know. That would be on my list in our family. I get that. Not my favorite thing. Especially when the number of the bills is bigger than the number of the che checking account, right? So then I said, okay, now I want you, you all, these pastors, I said, I want you to look at this list of things you've written down that, that you do in your work. And I said, how does it make you feel? Very quickly, one of the pastor's hands went up and through the translator he said, tired, right? I mean, you could imagine it, couldn't you? I mean, if you made a list of absolutely everything you're up to, you might look at it all in one list and say, wow, that's a lot, right? Someone else said, I feel overwhelmed. Somebody else said, I feel really privileged. They were thinking about the honor of the work they get to do. So then I said, I want you to do one more thing with this list. I want you to take that list of items that you've made lists of what you do in your life, what you do in your work, kind of typical day, typical week. At the end of each of these items, I want you to write two little words, with God. And you saw that, I watched them, they started writing this down, like, answer email, with God. That changes it a little bit. Pay bills, with God. Pretty soon you're going to be a portable church. There are going to be a lot of jobs that you as a community are going to begin to do that you haven't been doing before. And some of you may look at some of those jobs and go, that sounds like a lot. You know? But it won't feel like a lot if you realize that you have a chance to come as a servant and to join Jesus in the work he does. With God changes everything. With God changes everything 
everything. The most menial chore with God becomes an amazing opportunity. Inhaling grace. Learning that we can step into and step, in, step up into the work that God's invited us to do. Now there's a great line in the Psalms that I want you to hear. This may be one you're going to want to hold on to for a while. Psalm 90, and it's verse 17. Listen to this. Listen to what, in this case, I think it's Moses. Is that right? Yeah, this is one of those psalms that comes from the tradition of Moses. So Moses says in Psalm 90, verse 17, this prayer, let me ask you, before I read it, listen to it and see if it isn't a prayer you'd like to have answered in your life. Okay? says this, May the favor of the Lord, our God, rest on us. How do you want that? May the favor of the Lord, our God, rest on us. Not just visit us, not just wave on the way by, but come and park. Park in our lives. May the favor of the Lord, our God, rest on us. And now, he unpacks what he means by that and what it actually looks like. May that favor rest on us and establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Grace comes along to establish the work of our hands. We are never doing our work alone. We are never doing ministry alone. Grace is always present to give roots to what we do. I'm going to ask Paul a quick question because my brain is not thinking in terms of time. Paul, help me out on time. What am I targeting for? Two hours, like we said earlier? No longer than two hours? Is that right? Just give me a, a neighborhood so I don't go too long because I didn't, I didn't track where I started. Thank you. 20 after. Perfect. Thanks. Wasn't that... Sneaky the way I did that, and you hardly even knew it was happening. <laughs> I literally look at the clock and go, I have no idea when I'm supposed to stop. I could go another half an hour, but I don't think I'm supposed to. <laughs> Inhaling grace. That the grace of God would rest on us and establish the work of our hands. Doesn't that sound good? Wouldn't you love it if the generous, empowering presence of God parked with you? and blessed whatever you did? Not in some way that makes you more important, but in a way that furthers the kingdom of God, in a way that answers the prayer we began our service with, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. May the grace of God rest on the work of our hands so that your kingdom would come. And then... I want you to hear this line from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Maybe the most potent intersection between the grace of God and how God wants to work both in and through us. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. This is really our core passage. So if you're scribbling, this is one that's worth writing down. 1 Corinthians 15, 10. Verse 9 sort of starts it off. Paul's talking about himself. He's talking about how God had called him. 
by grace, right? And if you think about it, boy, Paul needed a lot of grace. He had been an absolute opponent of the way of Jesus and the work of Jesus and the people of Jesus, right? He had been an active uh, enemy of the kingdom of God and of the work of God and of, of the church. And so based on that, he says, you know, I'm the least of the apostles. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle. You ever feel that way sometimes? I think of myself. I didn't grow up in a Christian family. I didn't have sort of a church background. I was a very non-Christian, non-Christian when Jesus met me. Uh, And so I have this profound sense of, who am I to be standing up like a pastor talking to people? I mean, you don't know my story. You don't know my background. It's, a, it's, a, it's amazing to me. I feel like this. I don't, I, I don't feel like I should be called, you know, a, a pastor or a leader. But then, this is what he says, verse 10. But by the grace of God. So there it is. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. And then he says this. Nope. I worked harder than all of them. But it wasn't me. It was the grace of God at work within me. Do you hear what he's saying? Grace does not just forgive us. Grace does not even merely transform us. Grace moves us to hard work. A hard work that is with God. Being with Jesus in His work in the world is the most intimate friendship with Jesus we can enjoy. If you ever think about it, if you've ever been doing a job with a good friend and working on it, maybe it's a weekend and you're working on something at the house, you're doing the job together. I can think of mission trips I've been on. Remember one, this would have been in 89, we were in Haiti. We slept on the cement floor in a half-built cinder block church. On the wall were tarantulas. That was a load of fun. The ladies in our team really loved that. I didn't like it very much either, to be honest. So in terms of a Hilton, it wasn't, right? There were no baths. There were no showers. There was the little creek across the street that you could kind of dip down into. So it wasn't impressive accommodations. But it's still one of my favorite memories of working with Jesus. The grace of God invites us to join Jesus in his work as a servant in the world. The grace of God not only makes us who we are, but the grace of God inspires us, guides us, empowers us so that we can do better work than anybody. That's what grace does. Grace is like fuel. Maybe you've heard this line before. Dallas Willard said, Saints, like you and me, people of God, like you and me, need more grace than sinners do. Have you ever thought of it that way? He said, saints burn grace like a 747 burns jet fuel on takeoff. That's a lot of of jet fuel, and that's a lot of grace. When I was a young Christian, I sort of, at 17, I... I looked down the road and I imagined myself maybe when I was an old guy in my 50s, a really old guy back then, 50 would have been, 
ancient. Well, I'm 58 now. It's not that old anymore. But back then, I would look back and I would think, I can't wait till the day where right now, like I need a ton of grace because I'm a mess. But someday I'll need less and less and less grace until someday I'll hardly need any grace at all. And it's been the opposite. I don't need more grace because I'm making a bigger and bigger and bigger mess of my life. Hopefully that's not true. I need grace because I can't do what God invites me to do without His empowering presence. I can't do what He does, what He wants to do through me without His grace. You wake up and your first breath is a breath of grace. And Jesus is saying, come, come to me, come, follow me. Let's work together. My Father has sent me to announce a kingdom. I cannot do this alone. He came and he invited 12 to join him, and 72 to join him, and they invited others to join them. And down the road 2,000 years later, here we are. And somebody who invited somebody who invited somebody who invited somebody invited you to join this movement. But it's by grace. It's living in the generosity of God. It's inhaling the gracious presence of God. And it's learning what it will look like to be a blessing where God's put us. Sometimes those will be dramatic ways, but mostly they'll be in very simple servant-like ways. But in all of it, it will be an expression of grace with God. So let me just close with, with a little thought. When we first become Christians, we participate in grace. God works for us. We experience His forgiveness. And isn't that wonderful? Isn't it exciting to see somebody for the first time participate in grace? Experience that, those first tastes of being forgiven and accepted and loved. But then we hope that we will grow in grace and move from participating to engaging in grace more deeply. Letting grace not just forgive us, but transform us, change us. That we will move into being followers, disciples of Jesus, learning from Him how to live like Him. But we don't even stop there at engagement. We move from engagement to collaboration. Jesus is inviting us to work with Him. We have the honor of sharing in the work of Jesus. His favorite picture, you remember, his absolutely favorite picture of ministry is a yoke. Now, how many of you use yokes on a daily basis? I'm not talking about eggs. You know, you know, you know get up early in the morning and uh, harness up the two oxen and plow your field. How many of you did that this morning before church? You know? yeah, none of us did. I mean, if I tried to do that in my backyard, I couldn't even fit two oxen and a yoke. You know? But the picture is of two doing work together. Plowing a field, pulling a load, whatever it is. It's two working together. And in Jesus' use of that imagery, the two are him and you. He's always saying, come, join me. Come, follow me. Come, let us do this work together. He's really someone who is fun to work with. He's gracious. He's kind. He's good. He's strong. He's wise. 
It's a remarkable invitation to inhale grace and to join Him in His work in this world. And so again, as I say, I know that you all are getting ready to embark on a new chapter of that life together. My belief is that there are some remarkable adventures that lie ahead of you that would be impossible here. My belief is that God is going to knit you together in fresh ways. My belief is that each of you are going to find new ways in which Jesus is wanting to work through you in the blessing of others. So let me take a moment to pray, and then I'm going to hand, uh, hand it over. So Lord Jesus, thank you for the gift of your presence with us. Sometimes we feel tired and we think there isn't a solution. But you invite us and say, come, I, I can show you how to find a real rest. Sometimes we're discouraged and we think there's no solution to it. But you're the God of all encouragement. Eternal encouragement, you say. Help us to find that where we feel discouraged. Sometimes we don't have a clear sense of purpose. But you join us to yourself and you invite us to join you in your very profound purpose in this world. Jesus, teach us how to come to you. Teach us how to walk with you. Teach us how to work with you. Teach us to inhale grace so much so that it inspires and moves us to join you in your work in this world, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.